Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. I want to do a, a, a kind of a standalone today, and I may come behind this next week with some more thoughts out of this particular passage that we're going to look at today. Philippians 3, if you want to go ahead and just kind of turn there and, and kind of get ready, that's where we're going. For those of us who are Christians, those of us who know Jesus, and even people who don't know Christ and don't really go to church all that often, uh, it seems like everybody has some, some favorite Bible verses that they, they like to remember. There are certain ones, I'm sure if I asked you what's your favorite Bible verse, probably most of you in the room have at least one, if you don't have five or six, that you would start rattling off and say, well, these are kind of my favorites. And even people who don't go to church, if you said, hey, can you quote a Bible verse to me, they at least would say Jesus wept, and you know, and they think that counts as a Bible verse, and I guess technically it does. But, but you know, there are some favorites. There's, there's uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you know a lot of athletes, uh, chances are pretty good that you're going to hear an athlete quote that passage of Scripture to you because that's one that you hear a lot uh, from athletes. Another one is, is um, God causes all things to work to good, together for good for those who, are, who, who know God and are called according to his purpose. That's uh, the one that a lot of people, especially when they're going through adversity, they'll quote that particular passage. Or you'll you know, hear people talk about, well, I like the 23rd Psalm. But, but we all seem to have specific verses that we like that we cling to and and there are certain verses for me that that hold a special appeal and a special place for me just in the way I do life and and the way I kind of lean on those verses but then you come to other verses of scripture and you read those and you think to yourself man that that just kind of stops me in my tracks I mean I don't I don't know that I could even in good conscience say that Um, and when I read it it's almost kind of paralyzing because you think man I'm just not even close to being that or to being able to do that. Um, today, is we're going to look at something that I think, at first glance, and even, even second and third glance, might be one of those kind of verses that we look at and we go, man, I, I'm so far away from that. But the passage is Philippians, 4 verse, uh, Philippians 3, I'm sorry, Philippians 3, and we're going to start at verse 7. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Now just to clue you in as to what that word is in Greek, that is, that's the same word that we would use, dung or excrement you with me or do I need to use more words you know where I'm going you know what that is okay I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ verse 9 and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith verse 10 I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection now I just want to stop for a minute and just clue you in and just say keep in mind who's writing this this is paul right this is paul i want you i want to start that again because i want you to think about who's writing this passage i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead and and you know you're really tempted to read a passage like that 
maybe at the beginning of the year you've got you know these grand plans about I'm going to really do better when it comes to reading my Bible and I'm going to I'm going to live out what I read and and you come to a passage like that and you read it and you think yeah I'm going to live that out and then it dawns on you what this is saying and you realize how weighty this passage is and you realize how frustrating agonizing it can be to to throw yourself into a passage like that and say yeah i'm gonna do that i i'm i want to know christ more to be able to say i want to share in his sufferings and you think you know i'm not sure because what paul just said is that everything in my life is of lesser value than christ that's what paul just said everything in my life is of lesser value and i'll i'll pay any price to know him more you can take my health if you want to christ is better than my health you want to take my kids take my kids because christ is better than my kids you want to take my wife or take my husband take them because christ is better than them if you want to take my job whatever you want to take you take it because what i want more than everything and anything else is i want to know him more i consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of jesus i mean can we can we even really comprehend this that we would count it all as rubbish so I think that if you looked real close at my life a lot of the time you would say <laughs> he's the opposite of that he, he you know there, there are tons of things in my life I think that when I really start to evaluate things and start to look at them in light of this passage of scripture there's a lot of things that I don't know that I value higher than Christ that I do value higher than Christ I think there's a lot of things that when I am really honest and I, I put my life into this passage of Scripture and I walk away and I'm, I'm, I'm to be honest with you, I'm a little dejected because I, I don't know that I can say, take my kids because my kids are not nearly as important as Christ. And so this text will, will really just kind of flat out eat your lunch if you really start to spend time and you start to look at it. And he, you read David. <laughs> we like David because David's an awful lot like us. You know, you're, you're reading David and, and we get into the Psalms and one minute he's like, oh God, you're good and you're cool and you're awesome and you're great and, and you're wonderful and I want to serve you. And then you turn the page and it's like, why? I mean, he goes from one extreme to the other. I spit big time. He goes from, <laughs> there's nobody on the front row. That's a good thing. We'll give, them, we'll give them this queen or something when they come in. You know, he goes from one extreme to the other. It's, it's, and it, that's kind of the way we are. You, ever, you feel like that sometimes? Like you wake up some days and you're full on for Jesus, and then other days it's like, Jesus who? That, that you live your life some days that you hit on all spiritual cylinders, and then other days it's like you, you, you don't even know where your Bible is. You, you couldn't find Genesis, you know, if, if the preacher handed it to you wide open. I mean, there's some days that you just feel like, man, I, I don't get any of this stuff, and I don't do this very well. That, that's kind of the way David was. I mean, David, up and down. I mean, it was a roller coaster with David. Some days he was doing great, and Lord, I love you, and can't, well, I'll do anything for you. And in other days, it's like, why, you know, why do you have all these people pursuing me, God? Why won't you just make them leave me alone? And so, you know, we, 
David we kind of understand we, we we love David then you get to Paul and he says things like to live is Christ and to die is gain I don't want to die I count all things as rubbish now he does not say all things are secondary to Christ that's not what he says what he says is all things are dung all things are rubbish all things are garbage compared to Christ it's not like they're just like a step below that's not what Paul says Paul says there is no comparison between the two you start reading Paul and you ask yourself if you know the same Jesus that he's talking about and so this passage is tough and we you know we've got a new year rolling around and and this is an interesting time of the year for most of us because I don't know what it is everybody for some reason believes that they can be more next year than they were this year you ever notice that you you you, somehow at this particular time of year this week between christmas and new year's there's this thing where you start thinking to yourself oh i'll be better in 2008 you know i'm sure i'll exercise i mean some of you it's possible that several in the room have already got their their you know place in line at the at the workout place wherever it is that you're going to work out and i've heard personal trainers say that the busiest time of the year for them is the is the month of january and then the month of february they don't have anything to do because nobody comes back somehow we 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 think we're so much better than we really are and we think we're going to be better in 08 than we were in 07 what is that that makes us be that way the fact is that just a handful (laughs) if that many are really going to be at the gym in June. There's this idea of newness, freshness, opportunity. There's this idea that that we have this chance in 08 to walk away from some of the things that have hindered us, that have been in the way, that, that, you know, we look at our faith and we say, you know what, there's certain things that just keep cropping up and and they get in the way. And 08 is going to be the year that I just knock those things down one after another and I'm going to steamroll those things. Some of you will understand this. When I was in college, I used to get my syllabus. I hated syllabus day. I hated it. But I would get my syllabus, and I would come home at the end of my day, and I would get out the books, and I would look and see what all the assignments were going to be, and I would begin then to set in to, to start to work. Like if I knew I had a paper that was going to be due. That first week of school, man, I was like all over it, and I had reading assignments that had to be done, and this book's got to be read by this time. And that first week, I'm reading, and I'm studying, I'm writing stuff, and I'm ready for all. By, by midway through the semester, I couldn't tell you where the book was. So when I approach a new year, I, I'm really careful. I, I don't make resolutions, because I know me, and I know that uh, I'm real careful about making a bunch of promises, bunch of promises to myself that, that I, I find it difficult to keep. But the next part of this verse is beautiful. This text is really pretty. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect. And you read that and you want to go, Whew. all right, finally, he's, he's kind of come back to the crowd. You know, he's like the, he's like the guy in, the, in the, uh, the Tour de France that pushes out ahead of everybody else and, the, and he eventually falls back to the crowd. That's kind of the way this is. It's like Paul really pushed out there and we thought, man, nobody's going to be able to catch Paul. I mean, he, nobody can say what Paul's saying. And now he comes to verse 12 and it's kind of like, okay, not that I've already obtained all this or have, have already 
been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And there's, there's something in this text that I want to bring out. There seems to be this, this contentment in the heart of Paul as he, as he wrote the, the, the discontentment in the, in the lines above it. There seems to be this, this discontent on the part of Paul. You, you kind of get the sense that he's, he's not really where he wants to be. And, and if you know anything about the life of Paul, it, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling. To hear Paul say, I want to know him. And, and we're tempted to say, but Paul, didn't you hear the audible voice of Christ? Didn't you get called up into this thing called the third heaven? We don't even know what that is. And you say you want to know him? I mean, I didn't get to hear the audible voice of Christ. It would freak me out if I heard the audible voice of Christ. Yet Paul heard it, and Paul still says, I want to know him. I mean, you wrote 75% of the New Testament. You're, you're, You're arguably the greatest missionary that ever lived on the planet your your handkerchief heals people if it touches someone it heals them you know we we have uh, trouble with our faith and and yet you just seem to you're so massively huge in terms of being a spiritual giant and you're saying you want to know him paul says no i'm i'm not that man yet i'm I'm not the one who counts it all as loss. And so I'm not there yet. There seems to be this discontentment in Paul. And you study this guy's life, and it's incredible the things he did and the things he experienced. You know, our friends get sick, and we go in and we lay hands on them and we pray for them, and we hope they get better. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Paul walked into a room and said, Hey, get up and walk. And people got up and walked. You understand, don't you, that there, there was something different about Paul. I mean, there was a power that accompanied him that, that we just don't seem to have. I mean, I, you know, I know I'm, I, I've got the resurrection power in me, and I know that it's supposed to be that way, and I know that, that, that through faith all things are possible. I know all that stuff, but I'm, I'm telling you that if Paul was standing next to me and you were sick and we both walked up to you, different things happen if I walk up to you and if Paul walks up to you. There's something about this holy discontent that is supposed to be in us and it's supposed to be kind of hardwired into us that we should, we should not be ready to settle spiritually. If you know me really well, you know that, that I get annoyed when people start to equate um, God loving them or or. I get annoyed when, when the gospel gets made to be something about performance. I get annoyed when I, I start to hear people talk about how spiritual someone is because they, they, they do spiritual things and they, they look spiritual, but if you, when you really get to know them and you start to peel through the layers, you find out, I don't know, there's a whole lot spiritual about that person. The, the problem is that when you make a moral outline and the gospel becomes all about the moral outline and, and how you can perform in a way that makes God love you more and, and you can perform in a way that, that brings you into a better standing with God. When, whenever you prescribe that, that you can do that, the problem with that is that there will always be somebody who thinks that they have done it, 
that they've gotten there, that they've taken all the steps, that they've performed everything just the right way, and, and so there were you know, 10 moral steps to be in, in God's good favor, and I've done all 10 of those. Then you have Paul who goes way beyond us in power, I think. At least I think that would be the case. I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And he's saying, I want to know him. I want to know him. So I press on because I'm not there yet. I I haven't obtained. I haven't been made perfect. I, I keep pressing into this thing, Paul says. Now look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it but one thing I do now just stop for a minute because this is how you know that Paul is a preacher because he's going to give you one point he's going to say he has one point and then he's going to have like four points that's, that's, a, that's a preacher thing we're just going to focus in on, on pretty much one thing today and I'm, I'm playing around with coming back next week and talking about the second part of this because there is a second part of all this that we're looking at today um, but he says forgetting what is behind According to Scripture, there are things in our past. There are obstacles. Things that we would like to get rid of. Things that we've done. Things that make life very difficult for us. As we try to press on, as we try to go forward, we sometimes have a hard time going forward because we've got this thing that's back there. This thing that sometimes nobody else knows about. This thing that, that rolls us up once in a while and we'll come to church and about the time we think we've just about gotten to the place where we can really call Jesus our friend, the devil comes along and says, hey, don't forget that sometime back you have this thing. Things that we've been a part of, things that we've done, things in our past, things that, that hinder our pursuit of Jesus. Paul knows what he's talking about. There was a, uh, it was a beautiful time in the history of Christianity, a time when people were coming to Christ in record number and people were selling things that they had. Wealthy people were taking everything they had and they were selling it all and they were bringing it to the church. The church was using that money to, to meet needs. It was just, it was a beautiful time in the life of the church. The early church had some, Christianity was spreading. It was just a, a glorious time. And then one Saturday, a man named Stephen got up and he preached a message and as he preached that message something went violently wrong that day I want to take you to Acts chapter 7 you don't need to turn over there we're going to put it up on the wall for you but I want you to hear what happens with Stephen when they heard this and that is this message that Stephen had preached They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, at this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named, what's his name? You know who that is, don't you? It's the author of Philippians 3. Verse 58, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, 
do not hold this sin against them. Sound like anybody you know? Sound like words that maybe you've heard somewhere else and words that Stephen had been taught that these things had been said by Jesus? And it says, when he said this, he fell asleep, which is a beautiful New Testament way of saying he died. Now take you to chapter 8, verse 1 in Acts. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Then we go to chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, and he's moved past holding coats now, okay? Because we just read where he held the jackets, he held the coats of these people. He's moved past that. Now look what he does. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is, if he found Christians whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So I want you to get the picture. This this man, this is the author of the book of Philippians that we just read, the guy that said, I want to know him more. He's he's at the head of a mob that goes in and drags Stephen out of the city, possibly by the hair of the head. I mean, just probably just literally dragged him out of the city and they begin to throw rocks at him and Saul interrupts and says hey you know what if you let me hold your coats I'll bet you can throw them harder and faster if you'll let me hold your coats and so while the mob throws stones he holds their jackets and he smiles and he approves And then his hatred for what this thing called Christianity was, it grows even larger. He goes to the high priest, and he doesn't receive orders. (laughs) He asks for them. This isn't something he was told to do. He proactively went and said, hey, if you'll give me the letters, I'll do this. I'll find men and women. I'll drag them back into the city, and we'll, we'll punish them. We'll kill them, men and women and children. You think there's a possibility that years later when Paul writes, forgetting what is behind, that he might be writing about his own deeds? Shame is a weighty thing. Most of us, perhaps not all of us, but most of us, have things that we've done that moment in which we got caught up or we maybe even deliberately did something and in the process of doing it, just feel horrible, filthy, dirty. I hope nobody finds out. How do you even call yourself a Christian? Most people have that. Sometimes there are things that happened before we knew Jesus. And at least we would like to be able to say that we had some excuse. But for a lot of us who know Christ, there's a lot of us who would say, no, this, this is something that happened after I knew Christ. Either way, every time we draw near to Christ, we are reminded of that thing that we've done. And no matter 
how often we hear of the grace and compassion of God, we think that that thing defines who we are. And we don't think of ourselves as being righteous in Christ. What we think of ourselves as is this stained, horrible person and that this particular thing really is who we are. And Paul says, you're going to have to forget what lies behind you. I'm going to take you to 1 Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. Paul wrote this. That he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? I was a blasphemer. I was a murderer. I was a violent man who attacked women and children of God. And you know what God gave me in return? Love, grace, and mercy. Why? Verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I love that about Paul. And why was he shown love, mercy, and grace and forgiveness? Why? Verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, here's what you need to know about what I just read. That is, that is future tense future tense Paul's saying God extended grace and mercy and forgiveness to me a murderer and a blasphemer so that you in 2008 no matter what is in your past you can't trump me so for those of you who want to say well you know you just don't know what I've done I mean Brad if you knew what I've done you wouldn't preach this sermon at me because it's a different sermon that you preach to everybody else but the one that that I hear has got to be different because nobody's done what I've done Paul would say really really have you killed somebody two have you killed two were they believers were they brothers were they Christians you ever herded a bunch of men and women together into a city, stripped them completely naked, beaten them up, abused them, scared them to death. And then once you got them there, killed them. No, never done that. And then Paul would say, so the cross applies to me, but the cross doesn't apply to you. Forgetting what lies behind you hear that forgetting what lies behind the cross applies to you the cross applies to me in 2008 so no matter what your 2007 was like no matter how cruddy you think it was no matter how bad a job you think you did living out your faith, no matter how far away from Jesus you feel like you are, forgetting 
what lies behind, I press on. Do this with me and for me in 2008. Don't let yourself get to a place where you think, man, I can't talk to God. Not after what I've done. I can't, you know, I don't want to go to church. I mean, I feel horrible. I can't seem to get past this thing. Paul said, I was, re- I was given grace and mercy and forgiveness so that you would believe on him and have eternal life. I don't know who's in the room this morning that's never given their life to Christ, but I know this. I know that whenever I talk to adults about doing that, about coming to Christ, one of the things that I hear a lot is, well, you know, I'm not the, you know, people, it's, it's the same track. I mean, it's almost like you could press play on a recorder because they say almost the same things every time. Well, you know, I'm not a real good person. Really? Well, you know, the good news is that nowhere in the Bible do I see where that's a criteria for going to heaven. Nowhere do I see that the criteria to get into heaven is that you've got to be a good person. It's amazing. When you talk to people, do you think you're going to heaven? Yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, because I'm a pretty good person. That's going to do it. You're counting on you to get you into heaven, just behaving good. I think for a lot of us, there's stuff that's back there that we don't talk about and we definitely don't want anybody to find and and if somebody does discover it then we hang our heads and it's like oh man I think what Paul would say is pick your head up pick your head up and press on forget what lies behind put your eyes on what lies ahead and chase after Christ because if I can do it after everything that I went through and if I've had to get over all this stuff and believe me Paul was a nasty nasty guy if the cross applies to Paul and it does then the cross can apply to me and you let's pray together Father life has a way of beating us up and it can be a little intimidating to go through life and make some mistakes and then come face to face with the cross because it's very convicting. And Lord, if the truth were known this morning, there are, there are people in this room who are here, but they feel even a little bit uncomfortable even being here because they've got stuff that's happened and they really are trying to forget it. And the problem with you is that when we come face to face with your holiness and your purity and your godliness and your perfection, we it's like we can't see ourselves in the mirror because we aren't any of those things. Father, my prayer today is real simple, is that you just would help us get over what lies in the past, that we would be able to look at the cross and understand that that's a place where forgiveness happened, that it's not about how good we are. Do we want to be good to glorify you? Absolutely we do. Yes, we do. But we want to do it for the right reason, and the right reason isn't trying to get you to love us more, and it's not to try and get you to where where you, you won't love us less. You can't do that. You won't do that. You can't love us more. So God, this morning as we 
are on the footstep, really, of stepping into 2008, my prayer is just that you would help us to forget what lies behind, that we'd be able to put that away, not let that get in the way of our pursuit of you, that if Paul was able to do that, we'd be able to do that. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Without him, we are completely lost. There's no way in the world we'd even be here. It's in his beautiful, precious name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.